in Luke chapter 18 today. So it'll be Luke chapter 18, verses uh, 9 through 14. While you're turning there, uh, I, I'm reminded when we get to the story of um, the State of the Union that was this week, and depending upon which way your political winds blow you, uh, you either hated it or loved it. Uh, and uh, uh, you either hated or loved the the rebuttal that came from the other person who did their thing. Um, and it's always fascinating when you talk about things like politics, religion, and other things. Um, the people we disagree with the most, we demonize them in such a way that we think that they're from another planet and clearly have no grasp in reality whatsoever. The funny thing is, is on the opposite side of, the, of whatever fence you happen to be on or from the opposite side of the TV screen, they look at you going, you're clearly from a whole other planet. Uh, and we, we, we have this uh, innate and uh, natural sense of being able to take other human beings and downgrade them in order to make ourselves look better. It's fascinating to listen to. It's fascinating to participate in because I have. Uh, and if we ever sit around and, and have a few drinks or whatever, I'll tell you all about it. But uh, I won't uh, bore you with it too much today. But what I think about is that Jesus talks about this sort of in this particular passage. And I want to read it to us today. Read today. Luke chapter uh, 18 verses uh, 9 through 14. This is what it says. And he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes to all I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you this. This man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This is God's word. I have to tell you that every time I read this particular passage, I'm really convicted. Every time I read this passage, I'm really aware of uh, uh, just uh, how unhumble I am. Um, what I notice first and foremost in this passage is that uh, Jesus actually tells us what this, this parable is about. If you know anything about Jesus' parables, they're often very vague and weird. And sometimes you're like, I don't get it. And there's the parable of the sower and the seeds, and, and uh, he talks about that and sowing, throwing seed everywhere. And his disciples are like, that's great, glassy-eyed, right over. They had no idea what's going on. And then later on, they have to pull them aside and go, hey, great story, didn't get it. It's kind of like watching an artsy movie. You know, you're like, wow, visually stunning. I have no idea what it was about. That's exactly what happens in most Jesus' parables. You know, when he says, talks about the sheep and the goats, and they're like, great, which are we? We don't get it. It's completely over our head. We just, sorry, Jesus, we're dense. We don't get it. And Jesus has to kind of sigh a little bit and tell you, oh, okay, listen, how long do I have to be around with you guys? Here's what it meant. But in here, we've, we know exactly what Jesus is telling us. In fact, Luke actually prefaces this particular passage saying, he told this parable to some 
who trusted in themselves so uh, that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. He tells us exactly what the point of the story is. So keep that in mind. Jesus wants, sometimes when Jesus speaks, he wants us to kind of ruminate on things. Other times he wants his story to hit home. This is a swift uppercut. This is Jesus being very direct in his story. But what we notice here is that there, Jesus is addressing a fundamental issue with humanity. Self-righteousness and hatred of our neighbor. We have uh, some new neighbors who have moved in up the street, or at least they've been there for about nine months, and have proceeded to uh, tear up their yard at, with all of the stuff they've pulled out of their house and left it in the front yard uh, as they're remodeling. And they finally just got in uh, a, a roll away, and they're finally starting to put stuff in the trash thing. And me, as a quality uh, American homeowner, has been like, well, apparently they're terrible humans. I mean, that's just kind of what we think when people are like, well, they're, you're just not in the norm, and something's wrong. You see, it, it's fundamental. It's just part of our makeup. We immediately start to think of other people who aren't following the rules and doing the right things as other. I immediately had this self-righteousness in myself and hatred of my neighbor. And Jesus talks about these two people, and he puts them in two different sides of, the, of uh, society. There's two guys, two social opposites. They go to pray. One is a religious superstar, and the other one is hated. He's a pariah, a traitor, and a cheat. You've got the Pharisee and you've got the tax collector. On the surface, the Pharisee is this model of morality. He's the religious, religiously pure and he, in social order, people want to be like him. He's like the rock star. You want your life to be like that guy because he has it all together. You know, he's the one you go into the, uh, the restaurant and you go favorite customer right here. This guy right here, he's got the gold stars and he's really cool. But on the surface, you would not want to be like the tax collector. He was a hated traitor of the Jews. He was morally corrupt, unethical cheat, and a pariah in society. He was clearly not somebody you ever wanted to be associated with. But Jesus tells a story that both go to pray. Both approach God. Both have the same motive. They both want to go commune with, with the Father. They want to go to be with Adonai and reconnect to his grace, reconnect to his love. But they had these two oddly divergent prayers and the pharisee starts off with i thank you now hold on let's just stop for a second great start if you ever struggle to pray thank you god perfect prayer great stop done good i'm i'm tracking with this guy pharisee continues i thank you that i am not like other people Uh, do you see it Thank you that I am not like other people. This is not a good start. I'm especially glad that I'm not like this tax collector, the total package of being a cheat, a robber, an evildoer, an adulterer. Thank you, God, that I am not like other people. Ugh, this guy's awful already. I give my money regularly, and I fast twice a week. I take care of the poor. I am religiously you know, connected to God. I am so God-loved. I thank you, God, that I am God-loved. I thank you, God, that I am elevated above uh, the rest of the detritus in the world. Thank you that I am not like other men. And the tax collector comes. I mean, how do you follow that? 
It's as if the opening band has come out and destroyed the, the, the main band. And then they're like, well, I can't follow that. So he comes in and he goes, and he has the worst dance-off ever. You know, the, the Pharisee has come and laid out his amazing sort of prayer. And then he points to the tax collector and says, you're up. And the tax collector from way back behind the Pharisee takes his balled up fist to his chest and speaks in a whisper under his breath, staring at the dirt. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Two different prayers. Two completely opposite ways of approaching God. But Jesus gives the punchline in this story. It's not what you think. If you were a listener of this parable in real time, you would clearly see that the Pharisee, yes, was a blessed person. Clearly, he had ascended to some sort of uh, rank with God that he could go and compare himself to other people. Clearly, he was favored by God, and this sinner was, well, unfavored. Look at their stature in life and in society. Pharisees had it going on. They had people, they had followers, and sinners had people who wanted to run away from them. But Jesus flips the script and turns the table and tells the people that it was the humble prayer of the sinner of the tax collector, of the cheat, the liar, and the pariah. The cry of mercy to God by this tax collector was more acceptable. The man with no works, no standing, no reason to believe he was worth anything, receives all that he could not earn, the grace and mercy and love of God. Jesus was a master at this. Jesus just punched you in the gut uh, for all those people thinking that the Pharisee had had all of the rights. He had all of the good things. And it was this low man on the totem pole, this snake. Jesus says the Pharisee went home unjustified before God. He was not the hero or blessed. Because the Pharisee had no need of God's mercy. He had no need of God's love. He had no need of God's acceptance. Apparently he had it all. He had no room. His prayer was just a I'm better than you resume. He was not a lover of God. Whereas the man who came uh, and beat his breast and stared at the dirt and mumbled his, uh, humili- his humiliating prayer, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says, this is the one. This is the one you should be like. This is the kind of way that you approach God. Now, there's a whole way, a whole bunch of ways that we can make interesting points in this particular passage about what it means for you and I. Well, I think this time as we've gone, as we go through it, and I know that you guys have heard this story many, many times. The grace of God, I think here, is only capable of being received by those who are aware of their own wretchedness. In other words, humility is really the key to life with God. Humility is the key to life with God. See, the problem with self-justification and self-righteousness is that it replaces God's favor with my own set of standards that are dependent on someone else I deem worse than me. To be self-righteous means that I look upon somebody else and say, whose shoulders can I stand on so that I can look good? If we even go way back into Genesis, you see Adam and Eve doing this. Adam, as soon as God says, what have you done? And Adam goes, wasn't me, it was her. She tempted me. You see this? He's self-righteous. He's standing upon Eve going, she's worse than me. 
I mean, I didn't really do anything that bad. I mean, she gave it to me. What am I supposed to do? Be a bad husband and not take what my wife's giving me? I mean, that just, that's just wrong. Why would you do that? But she's clearly the one to blame. In a sense, Adam seems to be saying, I thank you, God, that I'm not like her. And that's terrible. But he does the same thing. And she says, wasn't me. I'm clearly not as bad as the snake who tempted me to begin with. Clearly, let's go back to the beginning of the real problem here. It's not me. I'm just, I'm just Eve. I'm just the first. I didn't. Yeah, listen, I'm not as bad as that guy. I love this quote I read in one of the, the passages or one of the uh, commentaries. It says, every natural person is more or less like the Pharisee. If we're honest with ourselves, we're, we're really good at being self-righteous. Some of us are, are, are better at hiding it. Some of us do it less. But in general, I think we all naturally do it. And we're really good at it. It's, it's what we do when we're not able to admit that we don't have it all together. Self-righteousness is our default when we're, we're afraid to look in the mirror and have an honest assessment about our actual lives. Because self-righteousness is really endemic to all of us everywhere. And it under it overpromises and underdelivers. It never gives us what we really need, which is really God's mercy, his acceptance, his love, and the ability to love neighbor. Look, Jesus told this story not just to say self-righteousness is bad. He says self-righteousness is probably the root of treating our neighbors terribly as well. The whole point of the law is what? Love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you are constantly unable to receive the love of God because you are self-righteous and you think you're all that in a bag of chips, you will never really be able to love your neighbor as yourself unless they're just as self-righteous as you and then you guys have a self-righteous party and it's fantastic and it's, it's terrible. In our culture, we even prop ourselves up at the expense of other people and pass it off as religious righteousness. At least I'm not like fill in the blank, whatever religious, you know, exemptions we'd like to keep out of our, our places. Our church is wonderful. We have all these great people, but we don't want those people. I thank God that our church is not like that. Clearly, I'm being facetious in this moment. But we, it, I love this comment. It says we even sin with our own prayers. We demonize people so we look better, uh, but all the while we're actually covering up our own frailties, our own sin, our own nakedness. Pride and contempt of others are commonly the most intimately united with one another. When we are self-righteous, we are often very contempted. We are very uh, contention with other people. But Jesus tells us the key here. Jesus tells us that only the humble are able to receive that which God uh, freely gives to us and in turn love our neighbor as ourselves. I read this last night. I was so excited when it was there. Richard Foster, who, uh, if you've never read any of his works, I just so, I recommend anything. I'm reading his book on prayer right now. And he says this, humility means to live as close to the truth as possible. The truth about ourselves, the truth about others, the truth about the world in which we live in. Humility is filled with the power to bring forth life. Let me read that first section. Humility means to live as close to the truth as possible. And in this parable, we see that the man, uh, the, the tax collector, was living very close to the truth. He was fully aware of how bad he was and how bad he was viewed and all the things. He, it was right at the surface. There was no pretension. He just came with all of his garbage and just put it, dropped his bags and went, God, I'm sorry. I am a wretch. 
We, we relate to the amazing grace because I think we somewhere deep inside of us recognize that before a holy God, we just don't have it together. But we sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. And that cuts us to the core and causes tears to well up because a God in the world who still cares for me, though I am wretched as ever. If wretched people knew themselves aright, they would not so easily despise other people. If we knew just how bad we really were, we wouldn't look at other people like, at least I'm not that guy. If we would admit that we are as good as dead before a holy God, we would find that he has actually made us alive in him. Our common deadness is the great equalizer. It's where Pharisees and tax collectors can come and hang out and be uh, a new people. The dead made alive by the mercy of God. When we get to the point and we admit that we have no leg to stand on before God, he justifies us in his love and enables us to see our neighbor clearly and learn to love them and hopefully encourage them to love you back. What I notice in this particular story, and it's aptly important to us, is that the publicans or the or tax collector's humility before God is what sent him home with the favor of God. He didn't come with pretension. He came with all of his stuff. He came in and was honest. And when he comes back later, think about it. Maybe part two of the story. The publican comes back again and he goes, I still, I didn't get it right this week at all. I just, I blew it. I'm, I'm, I'm a wretch. And God's like, I love you. I'll see you next week. The story isn't that he became more like the Pharisee. He just kept being himself. And God can work with that. It's the Pharisee who needed to be brought down a few rungs. He needed to recognize and come back just like uh, the, the uh, tax collector. He needed to adopt his speech. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And God will continue to keep on giving him. So really, that's our stance that we ought to be taking. If any response we must have is primarily is that admit that we're not as good as you think you are. I do it all the time. I recognize that. This isn't sort of like, woe to me, you know, sadness. I'm going to go home and sit in itchy clothing and throw, you know, charcoal coals over my head. That's not what I'm talking about here. That's not the, this idea of humility isn't that. It's not an exercise in self-deprecation or false humility. It's not a chance to, you know, uh, uh, just look awful and not wash your face or whatever. It's just an honest assessment. I blow it. I, I'm not as good as you think I am. I always worry when we have our guys' Bible study, and I, I, I say something in the study that I would think that a pastor, a pastor, you know, up here would probably not say, and then I'm like, oh gosh, they're all going to go. Why is that guy a pastor? You know, <laughs> clearly he doesn't have his stuff together. He says all of the inappropriate things. You know, uh, you know, or or I have a doubt about a particular thing that we're studying, and I don't get it. And I'm thinking, oh great, you know, but that's not the thing. The more honest we are about ourselves and about uh, our approaches to things that we don't have it all together, I think that's really the sweet spot where God's mercy can come in. When we're defensive about everything and we're like, I'm better than you sort of thing, we keep shields up. We don't allow the mercy of God in. But when we simply bring down and go, I trust that God is good and that he's not going to send me away. I love, in, I think it's in Isaiah, it says, God will not snuff out a, smo- a, a smoldering wick, and he will not destroy a bruised reed. It's this image of God 
taking this ember in his hands and gently blowing on it to bring that small spark back to a fire. He doesn't go, uh, lousy, you know, spark, smash, and you know, ha ha. Or he doesn't look at the reed and go, oh, you broke. And cut it off. He doesn't do that. No, God's over there with that, you know, botany tape and, you know, taping up the reed and going, oh, and put little sticks on the side of it, little, you know, wires and keep it straight up. God is in the repair business. But he only repairs the things that admit that they're broken. That's why the publican's prayer is so powerful. I love the simplicity of the prayer that he offers. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. If there's any response we ought to have is make that your prayer this week. Heck, make that your prayer all the time. Not as a, a woe to me, you know, I'm terrible and awful, but God, I just don't have it all together. I don't have my stuff together. I don't have it all right. I don't get it right. I don't, I, I just blow it constantly. And, and even if I don't admit it, God, be merciful to me, please. I think we need to response not only that we're not as good as we think we are, but also just take the stance of the publican and the prodigal. Be merciful to me, God, a sinner. And then receive his love. Listen, God is not going to reject you if you come to him honestly. In fact, that there should be a line. There's not even a line outside of the temple. It, you just free pass because of what Jesus has done. We walk in and go, oh, God, I blew it. He's like, I know I love you. I know I love you. I love you. Come here. Let's, let's, ha- let's have some bread and wine and we'll, we'll be cool. We'll send you on your way. And when we let self-righteousness step in, we prevent God from having his influence in our lives. So, your mission should you choose to accept it. There, there is a very simple prayer that um, I encourage you to adopt into your own prayer life. They call it the Jesus Prayer. And it wasn't a prayer that Jesus prayed, but it was actually a prayer that somebody, uh, a, a leper prayed. It, says, Lord Jesus, it actually said, Lord Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me, a sinner. And, and the, Orthodox, the Greek Orthodox Church has actually made it into one of their foundational prayers that they pray on a daily basis. Not as a magical incantation, but just as a reminder, Lord, Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. I encourage you to put that in to when you wake up in the morning. Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, have mercy on me. I love, I, I didn't get it when I was a, a kid, but they used to say that all the time in the Catholic Mass. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. We are, we are a people who are dependent upon the mercy of God, and God is free-flowing with it. He's just, just pouring it out. So your mission is to use that prayer in your, in your devotions this week. Amen. I encourage you to uh, pull out the prayer card that's on, the, on your table. And let us again, as we have, it is our tradition to remind ourselves just what it is that we believe in the gospel that, that we have staked our lives on. Let us read the Apostles' Creed together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into the grave. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the quick and the dead. 
I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Universal Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's pray together in the words that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us of our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, and deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.